This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Pierce Schiller from Tardisk.com tells a story of how he made $200,000 in six months to pay for grad school, then hired a CEO to run his business, but ended up having to come back to save his business. On today's podcast, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that's building a personal brand and a business brand at the same time. In this episode, you'll learn how to outsource your content marketing, the difference between managing a team of interns versus a team of employees, and how to use Polyboard to drive traffic and sales to your store. Today, I'm joined by Candace Gallic from BikiniLux.com. Bikini Lux is your go-to shop for the cutest bikinis, cover-ups, and clothing to achieve the effortlessly put-together beach babe look, and was started in 2013 and based out of Miami Beach, Florida. Welcome, Candice. Bikini Lux is known for selling you know, designer swimwear and, and kind of these amazing brands that you don't find at your local store. Um, and a lot of what we sell it's kind of higher end, you know, like they're, they're pieces that you would wear if you were going on vacation or if you were going away for a special, um, a special occasion, like an anniversary, um, a bachelorette party, maybe, um, a, just a girl's trip with all of your best friends. And, and that's kind of what we've been known for. And, and now as we've grown, we've expanded onto resort wear and clothing, activewear, lingerie, um, jewelry, accessories, the whole the whole deal. So um, we're kind of a one-stop shop for all of your your kind of luxury vacation needs. Very cool. So how did you uh, get started in this? Did you have a background in this kind of industry? I started Bikini Lux um, with my knowledge of sales and customer service and and just kind of the swimwear industry industry in general, um, you know, living in Miami, I had a lot of a lot of opportunities um, to not only model within the industry, but also create relationships with people who had their own lines, whether they were the the designers, the owners, the the founders of companies. Um, and those people early on gave me opportunities to to really sell and represent their brand as a newcomer. Um, because they believed in my ability and and when I said, hey, listen, I know this is this is new and this is different for me, but I'm going to sell somewhere online. Um, a few people stood up and said, like, yeah, let's do it. And and here's my brand and, and just go with the flow. And, and it turned out really well. Very cool. So have you, did you have experience launching any other business in the past or was this ver- your very first entrepreneurial pursuit? Bikini Lux is my first child. Um, I've put a lot of time and energy and and love and sweat into Bikini Lux. I didn't have any real experience in kind of growing in an e-commerce store or platform before that. So it was definitely a steep learning curve. Mm. Yeah. So what kind of um, preparation did you have to do before you know opening the the store? Did you have to? You, you mentioned there's a steep learning curve. What was involved in that? Like if, for someone that's just brand new, because I think there's a lot of listeners out there then that similar situation where they are working on their very first entrepreneurial pursuit as their first store, first company, first brand, first business, and they're facing they're facing the same issues that you probably face, which is that it's very daunting. There's just so much to, to learn, so much you don't know, and so much that you don't know that you don't know. So like, how did you prepare for all of it? That's true. Um, I feel like even now, um, a few years in, I'm still learning something new every single day. Um, there's always something like a new app, a new program, a new algorithm. It, it's literally, it just never ends. Um, so starting out, I did what a lot of people do. I took to Google and every single question that I had, I Googled it and I watched tutorials and I read interviews and articles and Q and A's and anything, any knowledge that I could soak up early on, I took advantage of it. You know, I, I asked people for advice you know, the few connections that I had in the industry, um, I asked them 
for their opinion. And a lot of them were on the opposite end of the spectrum that I am, whereas I'm a retailer and a lot of the the brands that I knew starting out were the people who were selling wholesale to retailers. So the advice that they had wasn't exactly what I needed, but it gave me a little bit of insight and, and led me in the right direction. Um, so I would say for people who are just starting out, just asking questions, every question you have, just ask it, Google it, watch the tutorial. Everyone has been in your shoes before, and there are plenty of people out there who are looking to enlighten others on, on the process. Yeah. And what do you think was the most important skill for you to learn as a beginner? Probably time management. I decided that this was the, the career that I wanted to have for the majority of my life. I, I dropped everything and I said, what I want to do is I want to sell um, somewhere online and I want to have my own company. Um, but when you're, you're just starting out and you're learning everything, really managing time and, and figuring out where, where you need to focus, like it may not be something that you like the most that you need to focus on, that you need to focus on, you know, like, do I enjoy going out and, and meeting new brands and, and shopping for new brands and learning the trends? Yes. But is my time best spent there? Probably not. It's probably best spent learning marketing and advertising and, and SEO and all those random things that go into it. Mm. So were you, when you were first starting this out back in 2013, 2014, were you doing this full time or were you still, were, was it something that was just being done on the side at first? Um, at first, it was something that was being done on the side. I continued to to hold a, a full time or a part time job to to pay the bills, which you know is necessary when you're starting out. And then you know it. Luckily for me, my hard work really it paid off early on, and and we started trending online pretty quickly. And you know, back to the time management aspect. At that point, I realized, you know, this is my opportunity, and I need to focus on, on growing my personal brand. So I quit everything and um, started focusing entirely, day and night, on on building the brand. And luckily, it's it's done well thus far. Mm, so while you were doing this, uh, essentially part-time, you had something else that going on. I think, again, a very similar situation for a lot of listeners out there. They have a full-time job or part-time job or something else, like you're, like you, what you're saying, to pay the bills while they were building this on the side. I can see why time management was, is become so important in that case because not only do you don't have that much time, but you don't have as much energy either because your, your, your time and energy is wrapped up in you know something else is a big chunk of your day and whatever's left over, you can't is what you use to devote to building something that probably takes even more effort. So tell us a little bit more about your, your time management then. How did you, you said something very interesting, very important, which was that you really had to understand what was important. Everything might sound interesting and fun to do, and it was, it might still be related to your business, but it might not have been the best thing for you to focus your time on. So tell us about how you kind of evaluate this. How do you, how did you learn or how do you evaluate what's best, the best, I guess the best use of your time? I think that a lot of it is trial and error. You know, um, you can't excel at everything. And, and that is something that I, I learned was that I might be, what, what is, I don't want to say I'm a hoarder. What is that word that I'm looking <laughs> for? Um, I, I'm the person who wants to put everything on my plate. I want to do everything myself because I want it to be done right. Mm-hmm. And I want it to, to be done when I want it done. And and I've always been that person. And what I learned was that, um, you can't do everything on your own. There's just not enough time in the day and, and you're not going to do it well. So I started outsourcing as much as I could to other people and leveraging their expertise. Um, and, and almost, you know, I, I became a manager early on, um, just by outsourcing work and, and utilizing, private contractors and whatever it may be. Um, you know, if, if you don't understand AdWords, like maybe you need to find someone who has a really good understanding of AdWords. If you don't understand or just really, really suck at editing photos and, and creating like good quality content, then maybe you need to find someone who can do that for you. And I know that a lot of that comes with a larger budget, but there are definitely ways that you can, you can get it done without, 
you know, taking on investment, you know, it's, it's totally possible. And, and I did it and, um, and it was, it was great because it did free up a lot of time for me to focus on the things that I, I was good at and that I did enjoy. Yeah, I think this is uh, important to talk about about a little bit more about how to find help and how to outsource and how to delegate so that you're not, you know, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs want to be the hero of their company, right? They want to do everything like you're saying. They want to, I think it's kind of a gift and a curse of being an entrepreneur where you're so ambitious and you are uh, so optimistic about everything that you think you can take all of it on. And a lot of times people don't find out that they can't do that until they kind of crash and burn out, which is definitely not a spot you want to be at. So you want to be able to nip that in the bud early and you know, recognize what you're good at and then outsource the rest. So let's talk about outsourcing a bit. How did you, um, well, first of all, what were some of the things, you mentioned AdWords and photos uh, at first. Uh, were there other things that you knew that you wanted to outsource right, uh, right away? Uh, yeah. So I think that a lot of what comes with um, with maintaining kind of an online presence these days is, is creating content and a lot of it, you know, and, and that may be articles, it may be, um, photos or videos or whatever, whatever it is that, that is kind of tied into your business, but, um, using virtual assistants to kind of create that content, um, and, you know, it, it frees you up to kind of do the more important things. You know, like, do you, do I need to spend my time writing an article about the five best SPFs for the summer? No, I don't. But is it potentially going to lead people to my website? Yes. So, you know, what? I'm going to outsource that and have someone else write it really quickly and, and throw it up and get it done. Um, you know, what I struggled with was that I was obsessed with micromanaging every aspect of my website and the way that the banner looked and and this portion looks this way and and I'm not a photoshop expert by any means so that actually consumed a lot of my time but by outsourcing it and giving it to someone who quickly can maneuver around photoshop and add a few lines of text and and get rid of a pimple here and and a smudge there it really freed up time and, and allowed us to be more um, more productive. Mm, makes sense. So I think uh, content marketing, like you're saying, with writing articles and everything, it's talked about so much in the industry. I think it was probably one of the more popular methods for marketing over the last couple of years and it probably still is really a popular method. Uh, but like you're saying, it's not for everybody, right? Not everybody likes sitting down and cranking out 500,000, 1,500 word articles every single day. And if you don't like that, like I was saying before, you have to outsource, you have to get someone else to do it, otherwise you're going to burn out and the entire thing is going to essentially fall apart. So when it comes to content marketing itself, for anyone out there that is also similar issues as you, which you don't like doing content marketing, where maybe you're better off using your time elsewhere. Uh, how did you find uh, you know people to write these articles, and what kind of direction do you give them when you hire uh, someone to to write articles for you? Um, well, a lot of the ideas are are very well thought out. You know, it's it's not just well today. I feel like writing about homemade um, leave-in conditioner for hair after you, you go to the beach, like it's everything that's kind of tied into the business, right? Like you want everything to be related. So something that we did, um, was we used BuzzSumo, um, to kind of see what kind of terms were related to, to our niche. And, and we took those and then kind of decided that they were something that we should be writing about. Um, and I would have virtual assistants. Um, you can find virtual assistants online. I, I like indeed.com for, for um, employees and such like that. But um, using apps where their main focus is literally this, this one thing to help you build your business and help you do it better um, really did make things easier. You know, like do off the top of my head, do I know every single term that people are searching for that's going to lead them back to my website and actually turn into a buying customer? No, I don't. But there are tons of people who have the data that can that can back that up. And so BuzzSumo, I think that's uh, another really popular app for content marketing. I've used it myself. Uh, in your case, you were using it to research the kinds of 
articles and blog posts that were written uh, uh, based on the, the keywords you're searching? Or how, how are you using BuzzSumo? Pretty much, but it's more or less just the terms that people are looking for that are related to um, to like trends and the industry that we're in. Okay, so let's say you discovered the certain terms or phrases that uh, people are searching for a lot. Uh, you would then, you know, hire somebody on Indeed, or hopefully you already had somebody uh, hired to to start writing. And would you like how much guidance do you need to give someone that you outsource this kind of content to? Well, that that ranges, right? Like we have we have a number of writers, and and everyone is of different skill sets. Um, and some don't require any any real direction at all. You say, hey, listen, I want to write an article about designer swimwear in 2017, and they just know. They just get it. Um, other people you hire or are, are part of your team may or may not, you know, just be that creative. You might have to give them more direction. You might need to say, hey, listen, I want you to write it an article about the five best brands of 2017 in the swimmer world. And, and these are the brands I want you to focus on. Like some people you need to give more direction to, but, but as a manager and as a leader, you kind of need to, to understand that and, and understand your employees' uh, strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And how important do you find it, is it to find somebody's final writer that has already written on this topic? Is that, is that important or do, do you find that, um, most writers can figure it out even if they haven't written in that industry or on that topic before? No, I don't, I don't think they have to have written about that topic before. Um, I think that a lot of people who do write are very creative. Um, and I'm not saying you should take on maybe a political writer and ask them to write about fashion because mm -hmm. they just may not be, be motivated to do that. But we've definitely taken on interns before who had no experience in writing and, have been able to churn out really well thought um, informational articles that are related to to our industry, um, and honestly, it's kind of surprising and in a good way when you see that and they realize that they have a talent that they didn't even know they had, and that's that's really exciting to kind of bring that out of someone. Cool. So when you mentioned earlier about how uh, it might not, it doesn't have to be a cash intensive. Um, I guess activity to outsource things like writing is it is it by finding interns like what what how how you been able to uh, you know not require large investments to uh, outsource a, a good portion of the like the content marketing or just the marketing in general? Well, we've definitely grown over the years. Um, early on, we just worked literally all day and all night. Um, I did myself. Um, my team worked long hours. Um, luckily, this year we've been able to take on um, more interns, which it comes with a cost or a price, right? Like I, I assumed early on, I was like, we're going to bring in these interns and we're going to teach them so much stuff and it's going to be great and we're going to be so productive. Um, and and our employees were like, great, we have all these interns. They're going to do all the stuff I don't want to do. And, and it's kind of funny because now we all started focusing on teaching these interns because we, I know that a lot of people kind of bring them on and just, and just give them busy work and, and they're just happy and, and that's what they expect. But I don't want someone to come to our team unless they genuinely want to be there and they want to be a part of the family and they, they have fun coming to work every day. Um, so it actually takes a lot of time and energy to teach these people um, real skills, you know, like I've gotten so many who have done internships before and I feel like they just didn't learn anything while they were there. And I think that's sad and I think it's a waste of time for them and for the person that they were working for. Um, so I guess to answer your question, you know, we do have interns. We have way more employees now than we've ever had. We have um, freelance writers and, and all sorts of different people all over the world that are, are helping us create content and manage the customer experience and create backlinks and all this stuff. So um, just hard work and, and building a team that believes in what they're doing. Yeah, I think others have considered going down this route too of bringing on interns, um, but also also having uh, employees, full time employees, uh, or even contractors. Uh, what do you find different that's about managing interns versus uh, an employee? Um, I think that 
It's different because I think that our employees know a little bit of what is expected of them on a daily basis. You know, they, they kind of think freely and, and they say, hey, I have these these things to do today, but I also have these other creative ways where I need to think of an interesting way to reach out to the local community. Um, and I think that the the interns um, are more, they their tasks are more delegated to them. You know, it's like, hey, we have these five brands. we got to hurry up and do X, Y, Z before this date. Like, go, go, go. Um, but, you know, we've been able to kind of manage everything and keep everyone on the same page by using Basecamp, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of. But it was really nice for us to be able to kind of chat with each other and without yelling across the, the room or, or across the office, um, kind of just message each other and and make sure that um, everyone has the same idea in mind. And it's especially great for the, the people who we're communicating with um, overseas or all over the world um, because they're at different time zones and now just you just message them and everyone knows what's going on. Yeah, and I think the one thing you said about interns is also uh, interesting and important, which is that it's it's easy to just kind of give them the busy work, the stuff that you don't want to do, kind of hand it off to them. Uh, but like you're saying, you want to make sure that the interns are also enjoying what they're doing, or well, employees as well, but even even more so, I think, with interns, they're enjoying what they're doing and that they're learning. So I think a lot of times that's what they're looking for the most. They want to come to a place to learn and, of course, also enjoy uh, their time there. Uh, how do you make sure that this happens, though? Because, you know, because like you're saying, it's really easy to slip down this road. Maybe not you directly, but then the people that report into you might slip down this road or just delegating the stuff that they're not interested in and kind of, you know, tossing it over the, the wall, so to speak, and not really teaching. How do you make sure that, that doesn't happen? That, that is a good question. And I think that our team is, I think that our team is different. And in that our office is is very casual. You know, we we have a great time at work. We have barbecues. Um, there's people coming in and out all throughout the day. And, and it's very, I don't know how to say it. I, I want to say that it's like that fun office that you go to and everyone's like sharing food and like making coffee. And, hey, I'm making coffee. You want one? Like it's like very fun and casual, which I think keeps the morale high and keeps people productive um, I've never wanted to be that boss that comes in and everyone's like terrified and they're like, she's here, she's here. Everyone like batting down the hatches. Yeah. Um, and I think that that keeps it fun. And also I think that e-commerce is, is a different industry in that there's so much that goes into it. You know, we have photo shoots on the beach and Hey girls, like let's send a few people out to this photo shoot. No, oh, there's an event over here at this hotel and we're doing a pop-up over there. So there's a lot of kind of just fun things to do that the the people who work for us who are interested in fashion and in in sales and the summer industry in general just they get to go on all these fun field trips almost um, and kind of experience it and when we have swim week and all those those fun events it's it's like hey who wants to go to this event okay no not everyone can go. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think I think what boils down to then, uh, based on what you're saying, is that you 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 can't force somebody that doesn't that's not already interested in the company, interested in the industry, interested in the the, the category to come in and enjoy. It. If you just go out and with the intention of finding interns, finding employees that are already interested in all of these things, it makes it a lot easier to kind of cultivate that 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 culture at your at your company in your offices uh, than than if you weren't that selective to begin. With. So I think that's the, that's the answer. What you're what you're getting at is that you know be selective with the interns or be selective with the employees, and um, that this makes it way easier to to create a fun uh, place to, to work at it and uh, a fun place to, to learn as well. Um, so you you mentioned a little bit earlier about how you're able to get traction uh, pretty quickly. Um, you you're able to get those first sales. You were trending uh, online. Tell us a little bit more about that. Like what do you what do you credit that to? Like how how were you able to get that early traction? Pretty sure that early on we we focused a lot on on shopping websites um, because we were so new. We didn't have the the organic traffic that we were looking for early on, right? That that only comes with time and and with with effort. So we we kind of utilize the the different platforms that women 
teenagers, men, everyone kind of goes to to shop um, and they have this database of customers who are ready to buy um, and you put your products on and um, people just come and buy them. They don't care really if you're brand new. They don't care if you're, you've been around for 20 years. They, they see an image and, and they want to buy it. So let's say Pinterest, for example. Um, currently, we get around 2 million impressions a month um, on our Pinterest page. Um, but starting out, you know, we did see some sales from there, um, because people saw an image they liked and they wanted to buy it and they weren't afraid of, of buying from Bikini Lux when it was brand new. Um, so there's all these different platforms out there that can help new businesses, um, build a customer base. And, and it's great because it's, it's very much needed early on when you're literally just floating in cyberspace and nobody knows that you exist. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You want to find places, marketplaces, uh, social media platforms that already have uh, your audience, your potential customers, and just get in front of them that way because, one, it's usually free, and then, uh, two, these uh, audience members, these customers already are collecting around this place, so you don't have to go around searching for them. Um, so you mentioned Pinterest. Are there any other um, place marketplaces or social media platforms that you recommend, f- especially for br- brands and companies in the apparel space? Yeah, there are there are tons right now. Um, I I like Polyvore. You know, some people don't love Polyvore, or they're they're just not into it yet. Um, but I like Polyvore because it, it allows people to to create sets and, and different things, and they can utilize your products and share them with people really quickly and easily. Um, and we've done lots of contests on there. And, you know, I like it because your products pretty much, they just go, you put them on there, and people just start using them in sets. And, and you can create contests that say, hey, listen, use um, three of our products in a set and and share it to win a pair of sunglasses or whatever it is. And, and the people on there are really interactive and they're really creative and they do create content for you. Um, and you can even use some of those, those set images to, to kind of reach new people as well. Yeah, so for anyone out there that might not be familiar with Polyvore, can you explain how it works for for users and then also how brands and retailers like, uh, like you uh, use Polyvore? Yeah, so you upload your products um, and users can share the products or they can collect them almost into their own groups, like very much like Pinterest and and all these other websites where they see something, they like it, they want to keep it. Um, Some people want to purchase them, so you're able to purchase directly from the website. Um, And a lot of them are are creative types and they use them to make collages or, or what they call sets. Um, and that's really cool because they they can create so many different styles and and maybe something that you would create a lot of people may not be interested in but if they're a really creative girl who has I don't know a few thousand followers creates something using your product then now it's it's shared to all of her followers so it kind of just creates brand awareness and um, and it can definitely lead to sales. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, there might be um, users on there that, I guess, power users, people with followers on there. Can you work with influencers on Polyvore? Have you gone down that avenue? We have, yes. Um, we still do. Um, we reach out to some of the people who are active on there. Um, but, you know, I think that a lot of it just happens naturally. And I think that um, everyone is so tied up with influencers and oh, you know what, I'm only going to work with someone if they have half a million followers because that's going to be what is going to turn out to be the best amount of sales. But that's not always true. You know, we've worked with girls who have had 700 followers and have amassed way more sales than a girl with half a million has. So it, it just ties into their customer base or their following um, and, and if it's really targeted to what you're selling. Mm, and you mentioned before that others might not be interested in Polyvore. Are there any negatives that you found with being on Polyvore or spending your spending the time on Polyvore? Um, I mean, it's for fashion. So if if you're selling car parts, I probably wouldn't recommend it. You know, it mm-hmm. it's definitely it's it's definitely fashion forward if that's what you want to say. 
I haven't really found a negative. You know, I think that every platform comes with its pros and cons, and I don't think that anyone should spend all of their time doing just one thing. Um, I think that it's really important to be well-rounded, and and you need to be on Facebook, you need to be on Pinterest, Polyvore, Instagram, you need to be on Twitter, you need to kind of access everything, and and that's where it can become overwhelming, and you could potentially spread yourself too thin. But um, you know, if you if you um, focus on something and you see that something is doing really well, then maybe spend more energy there and less time at something that's not performing as well for you. You know, like we have a lot of really great imagery because the majority of, of our shoots are on the beach with a beautiful model and, and great hair and makeup and Photoshop and all this fun stuff going on. So it's a really image heavy kind of industry. Um, so, you know, e-commerce works really well for us in that regard. Very cool. So speaking of uh, social media, one thing you mentioned in the pre-interview questions was about uh, a, a marketing, I guess, tactic that, that works well for you, which is to create innovative and disruptive social media posts that draw engagement. So can you talk a little bit more about this? Like, What do you mean by these, I guess, innovative uh, and disruptive social media posts? Well, I think that now more than ever, it's it's difficult to stand out online, right? Like, Everyone has an account on every single platform and everyone is posting multiple times a day to try to get your attention. Mm-hmm. And as as customers, we're all customers, um, we're being sold to nonstop. You know, like there's advertisements, uh, there's pop-ups, you get followed around, the radio is talking to you, the TV is talking to you, your phone has, you got a text from some sales thing and you're just always being sold to. So I think that a company to stand out and to do well needs to needs to be authentic. But I also think that it should have a personality. Um, and one way that we've kind of shown our personality online um, was early on I decided that I should be a part of LinkedIn because LinkedIn meant that you are a professional person, right? And I was like, you know, I don't think people really view me as being like the CEO of a company. I should have a more professional um, profile. So I started LinkedIn, um, and I, I started posting the same stuff that I did on any of our other platforms on Pinterest, on Polyvore, um, on Facebook. And I started posting the, the same campaign images of beautiful women on a, a tropical beach wearing swimwear. Um, and it was just different for, for LinkedIn at the time to see something like that, you know, like, it is a professional networking website, but I'm a professional and swimwear is my business. So here's here's my stuff. This is what I have. And um, a lot of people were surprised by that. They, they didn't expect to see that on LinkedIn. And it created mm-hmm. a, a huge controversy, um, which was, you know, two different groups of people. There are the people who said, this does not belong on LinkedIn at all. This is not professional. And there were the people that said, hey, listen, she's a business owner. Swimwear is her business. It definitely belongs here. Um, so creating that content and putting it on that platform um, was controversial. And it was fun and it was exciting. And it brought us a lot of, um, a lot of attention. Um, and I think that's what I mean by kind of creating content that is innovative um, in that you may not even know you're doing it when you do it at first. Um, and, and people see something that they didn't expect and it's, it's almost guerrilla style marketing. Um, and that's kind of how that happened. And it led to opportunities that were unexpected for me as well. Yeah. I think the, the kind of key point there is that you don't always have to just do things because you see other brands doing it. And you should actually start, you know, asking where can you be, what can you do that is different, maybe even the complete opposite of what you've seen successful retailers, successful brands, successful other successful companies doing, because that's usually the only way to stand out. You, you're you going to fit right in and kind of fade into the background if you are just like everybody else. And um, when you, you mentioned earlier, too, about how I, I think you were saying early on you were able to focus on building your personal brand. Is that something that you focused on a lot, too, you know? other than just uh, Bikini Lux, are you also focused on building, you know, your personal brand as Candace? 
Yeah, so with LinkedIn brought attention and it brought a lot of opportunities. You know, I I didn't expect it to to go viral. You know, I didn't expect to to amass 50,000 followers on LinkedIn or to be the most viewed person on the entire website for a long period of time or to get more traction than like Richard Branson does. Like, who am I compared to Richard Branson? Let's be real. But it, it, it was happening. Um, and, um, you know, what you said a little bit is don't always do what everyone else tells you to do. You know, everyone, not everyone, a lot of people in the beginning of the whole LinkedIn controversy said, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. Don't post advertisements like this on, on LinkedIn. It's never going to get you anywhere. You're, you're talking to a brick wall over here. You're never going to see any sales from it. And, um, what happened was, you know, we actually saw a 30% increase in business, um, you know, far exceeding our expectations or our projections. Um, and we amassed a, a much larger male clientele than we had previously. Um, so don't listen to what everyone says. Sometimes, you know, you need to, to do the exact opposite almost. But with LinkedIn came opportunities that I didn't, I didn't have previously. So... <clears throat> You know, we ended up in all sorts of different publications. Huffington Post, um, we were in Inc., we were in BBC, um, Fox News, Forbes. Um, We've been in Forbes five times in 2016 so far. Um, And I've made connections that I, I never expected to make. And with all of that allowed me to build my personal brand, which is something that I, I never even thought of before starting Bikini Lux. I never thought that Candace Gellick would be a brand or that it should be. Um, and now I have my own column for Inc., which is great because I used to buy Inc. magazine and now I write for it. Like, how cool is that? Um, and I'm kind of dabbling in, in consulting and, and teaching people the ins and outs of, of what I went through step by step building my business from the ground up as a bootstrapped um, young female entrepreneur. I'm really focusing on that because I see potential there um, beyond Bikini Lux. And, and like I said, not putting all of your eggs in, in one basket. I don't want my only my only company to be Bikini Lux. I want it, there to be other aspects of it. Um, so building myself as a brand has been um, a nice change of pace. But it, it's definitely hard to manage time now when you, I have two separate brands. <laughs> you know, I bet. And what, what do you find that's different about building a personal brand versus building a, a company's brand? I thought that I was crazy about every single thing that I posted before and, and micromanaging everything before when it was Bikini Lux. And and now that I'm dealing with myself, I, I feel like um, I'm trying to put, you know, best foot forward and, mm. and always come off as professional and, and presentable. And, and that's difficult. And also, you know, knowing what people want, like, yes, I know a little bit about going viral on LinkedIn, but, um, I know a little bit about creating my business also. So kind of figuring out, um, what people want to hear is, is important, I think. And, you know, what's really cool about it, I think is, um, with LinkedIn, I've been able to learn so much more because I can do A-B testing and, and figure out what people do want to see and what they do want to hear about. Um, so I can ask a question like, do you like A or B? Which would you rather? Like, do you like the photo on the left or the right? Do you like the lifestyle image or do you like the plain white background? And I get a lot of feedback, um, probably the most engagement of, of any platform, it's um it's been really great to to kind of get that insight and kind of feedback from people that I didn't have before. Yeah, I can imagine that you probably feel a little bit more under the microscope now that you have a personal brand because even though your name is tied to your your company, Bikini Lux, or anyone else out there has a company, there you're still you you're not anonymous, but you could separate yourself from your 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 company's brand. But then when it's your personal brand, you can't just step away from it. So what you say, like you're saying, what you post on social media, on LinkedIn, 
on Instagram, on Twitter, it is your history. You know, it's kind of your history of everything that represents you as your personal brand. So I can definitely understand the added pressure of, uh, of you know, having a personal brand. Um, so for any any uh, entrepreneur out there, I think um, a lot of entrepreneurs that are that have seen success, they do want to give back and they do want to talk more about what they what they've learned. You know, which is why a lot of the guests come on this podcast. Uh, how do you recommend others? begin down this path if they are thinking about, you know, focusing a little bit more time on building a personal brand? Well, I think that a lot of it comes with time. You know, if you if you wake up one day and you say, you know what, I'm going to make myself a personal brand, it's probably not going to work. Why? Because if no one's interested in what you have to say, it's going to be really difficult mm. to force feed it to them. You know, so early on, People probably didn't want my advice when I first started. They would be like, who are you? Why should I talk to you? Why would I want to know your opinion? When people believe in you and when they they understand what you're doing and they say, hey, listen, she's been there and done it before. I've seen it with my own eyes. Um, they might be more interested. you know. So building your own brand, I think it's vital to start with a base of people who are truly interested in that brand to begin with. It's difficult, you know, to to get started in kind of creating something, especially if you don't know what you're creating. Like if, if you want to say, hey, I'm, I'm great at pottery, you should listen to me. No one's going to care unless they believe you're good at pottery as well. You know, so I don't know. I don't I don't believe really that everyone should be their own personal brand. And even me, I'm still trying to figure it out. You know, there there's been things like, hey, Candace, do you want to sell Tupperware, let's name a cosmetics line after you. Let's do this, this other thing. And I'm just like, why Tupperware? No, <laughs> um, I'm not Martha Stewart. I, a cosmetics line? Like, no, I, I don't talk about cosmetics ever. Why would I have a cosmetics line? Mm-hmm. And my followers don't care about makeup. Like, really? <laughs> so it's you have to make it really targeted to, to what you are good at and what you also want to wake up and do every single day. You know, like if you don't, want to do pottery every day and it's just not going to work yeah it's definitely difficult though right because you're saying that um one of the key kind of focuses uh, one of the key things you try to focus on today is to pay attention to what people are asking from you and that's kind of how you guys start with your personal brand because people became more interested in your business and how you grew your business how you started your business and they wanted to learn more about that Uh, but then all of a sudden once you kind of are more in the limelight have more publicity more and more opportunities get thrown your way and a lot of times like you're saying they're not a good fit but they're still kind of demanding or kind of asking these things from you so how do you filter that like how do you understand okay this is something I want to pursue versus something that I don't want to pursue when it's actually something that people are asking from me just like when they were asking for you to talk more about your business or talk more about entrepreneurship well I think that it it goes back to not spreading yourself too thin Right. So you may have an opportunity to do something, but does it make sense, first of all, um, for you to do that? Do you do you have the time to commit to it? Um, Maybe, maybe not. Um, Is it something that you do want to do or that you benefit from? I mean, let's face it. At the end of the day, the reason why you're doing what you're doing is either because you just love it so much and you're so passionate about it or you're you're turning a profit or, um you have some other motive, let's say you're doing it all and you're donating everything to charity. Like no matter what, you, you need to figure out why you're doing something and, and what you want out of it. So, um, you know, like I said about cosmetics, you know, like do I wear makeup? Yes. Do I necessarily need a Candace Gallic makeup line? No, because you know what? No one's going to buy it. Um, it's It has to make sense. And, and I know that it gets exciting early on when people want to offer you things and want to be a part of stuff. Um, but you really need to manage time and, and focus on what you're good at. And, you know, if someone says, Hey, you know what, I I like what you're doing and, and let's write a book and, and I'm going to, I'm going to invest in it and you're going to write the whole book. Like, is that really, is that really going to be the best use of your time? Like maybe, maybe not, you know? So 
I think that whatever options or, or opportunities are thrown your way, I think that it's a great idea to weigh out the pros and cons. It's something I do. I'm a list maker. Um, and, and figure out um, if it's worth your time and energy. Mm, very cool. So I think uh, one thing that you mentioned was you have to really understand why you're doing it. And it's funny because you actually have a an article in Inc. with, um, I think, a Q&A with uh, Simon Sinek who talks about this idea of always asking why before you begin anything else. And when you start thinking about you know, why you're doing something, do you, like, how, how do you, I guess, how do you answer that? How do you know that, and this may be more philosophical question than, than anything, but how do you know that you actually have a legitimate reason to pursue something or not? Because I think there's a fine line that a lot of entrepreneurs, not a fine line, but I think there's a gray area that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into, which is that, like you're saying, someone presents them an opportunity and it kind of fits with what they're into, it kind of fits with their skill set, but it might not be a perfect fit. Is that enough of a, I guess, a reason to try and pursue it? Like, how do you know if you actually have discovered the why of why you're doing something? That's a great question. I asked Simon that same thing. Nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, you know, I don't know all of the answers, but I do know one thing. When I when I'm thinking about something and, and when I'm deciding on on doing something or not, I I trust my gut. You know. If, if it feels right, it feels right. If it feels a little funny, like, you know what? Like, I, I just don't know. I don't know if I can swing it. I don't know if, if I'm trying to manage Bikini Lux and Candace Gallic and I've got 20 other things to do. And now you want me to do this other thing. Like that's kind of related. Like, you know, it, it just goes back to deciding if it's something that you want to do, like, are you going to enjoy it? Yes or no. Um, are you going to see any results from it? Yes or no. Um, are you passionate about it? Um, are you going to want to do it every single day and, and be thrilled to be doing it? Because a lot of, a lot of being an entrepreneur or a business owner or, or any of these things really, 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 um, ties into being driven and, and passionate and trying to, keep a happy face, even when you're in the red, like, let's say you just had a terrible month and you're just like, God, this is just not going well. I worked my butt off and I'm just losing money and it's, it's just not working. You have to enjoy what you're doing to keep it going and to see the numbers jump back up again. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how to figure out if everything is right. Um, or how to find your why. I mean, I tried to get Simon to best explain to me how to find my why. And, um, it's, I don't know, it's hard, but you'll, you'll figure it out. Everyone does in, in their own time, I believe. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think we knew the answer to that. I, th- I think a lot of people will, um, be much happier, you know, I think because it, it's a struggle that everyone goes through, right? It's like, uh, a process, like you're saying, it's a journey that you have to go through to discover the why there's no kind of one way to sit down and just think about it and all of a sudden come to an answer. It's you, you try things and you get better at understanding what's, what, what fits what you're doing, what doesn't. And then you kind of build this, uh, intuition, I guess, over time and you'll have a better understanding of what will actually, uh, you know, fire you up like like you're saying i agree you know what actually i have one other thing felix is that actually it got sparked from that conversation with simon about why and i was like you know how do i i have this interest in in being more charitable like how do i do this like what is my why and he says you know i can't tell you what your why is you got to figure it out yourself girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) um and i was like all right i was like well you know what like a lot of the brands that i carry and that i that i choose for bikini locks all have these really strong brand missions and and it's something that i've always wanted for my business i didn't want it to just be an income producing opportunity i wanted it to do some good and what happens is all the brands that we choose that go into Bikini Lux, they're all working in their own way to, to better the community. You know, we have um, a brand of jewelry and they only employ women in the community that are, are facing hardship or homelessness or whatever it may be. And they teach them these skills of how to make jewelry and they provide them with living wages so these people can get back on their feet or, you know, you buy a yoga mat and we plant a tree 
Um, or there's another one where they employ single mothers and they hand make these really intricate, um, crochet and like beaded swimwear. So like every single brand that we choose, they all have their own mission and they're all doing good. And, and it was funny because I was picking them and I didn't even really realize it. I didn't ever sit down and say, Hey, I'm only picking brands that have this amazing eco-conscious mission. Right. And then I kind of just realized it later on. I was like, Hey, this is what we're doing. We're, we're doing good and we're not even talking about it. We're not even telling anyone about it. We're not, no one even realizes it's happening, but that's what we're doing and that's our why. Um, so that's really, really fun and exciting. And I think that every brand should have maybe a why or it, or it should have some sort of mission. You know, I don't think that it's fair to run a business and, and just collect money and, and call it a day, you know? Yeah, definitely. So what are your plans? What do you, what do you, where do you want to see Bikini Lux go in the next uh, year or so? Well, considering Bikini Lux has far exceeded my expectations from the start, um, you know, I didn't know until recently um, where I wanted to go. And I realized that the two-piece swimwear industry is an $8 billion industry in the U.S. alone. Um, and I think worldwide, it's something like $13 billion globally, um, with projections that it's going to be around $22 billion by the year 2020. Um, so my goal now is to just take over a small percentage of that. You know, I just want to be the online destination for, for designer swimwear um, and resort wear and, and all the fun stuff that goes into you know, buying swimwear online. Um, that's my, my short term goal. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a, a very lofty goal. So I hope, you know, best of luck to get there. So, you know, thanks again so much for your time, Candice. Bikinilux.com, B-I-K-I-N-I-L-U-X-E.com. Anywhere else you recommend a listener check out if they want to follow along with what you're up to? Definitely check out um, Instagram it's at Bikinilux. All of our different platforms, uh, social media is all at Bikini Lux. Um, you can find us there. Check out all the cool customer photos, all the cool places we're going, all the beautiful models we're shooting. Um, that's where we are. LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Awesome. Thanks so much again, Candice. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.